Hi, I'm Debbie Georgianis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about Trudeau and the truckers, the Canadian impasse. Wade Miller joins me to talk about why the GOP sometimes drops the ball, propagandizing kindergartners, and GoFundMe, Spotify, and truth on censoring. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. Hello again and welcome again to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. My new best friends, the truckers up there, and they're doing their strike in Ottawa, uh, are continuing to be in the news. And I want to just touch on a couple of points that happened since last time we talked about it. Number one, Justin Trudeau, the prime minister, has come out of hiding. And he spoke in the parliament yesterday, I think it was yesterday. And, you know, among the things, he, I, I have a tiny little clip that he, what, what he had to say. But I really want to comment about what his attitude is. But first, Mr. Becker, if we have that clip, you can play that. We're here to do our job as government, as parliamentarians, because our democracy is working. Just a short time ago, we had an election in this country where we asked Canadians how they wanted to keep fighting this pandemic. And their answer was clear. Canadians chose vaccines. They chose science. They chose to protect one Okay, he froze. They, they chose to protect one another. I just want to point out, Justin Trudeau, he just radiates smug. Just radiates smug. But on top of that, yes, he was re-elected elected in September of last year, I think it was. So he hasn't even been in a year uh, in this term. Um, and he... Uh, is accurate that as the information was presented to the voters there, most people were on, on board with vaccines. He did not run on saying, and by the way, I'm going to make sure that we force vaccinate people or we force them to stay home and quarantine. He didn't run on those things. And much has happened in what we all understand about COVID and the vaccines and the passports. And we are beginning to get a bigger picture of how the COVID vaccines are being used as a ploy to take away freedom, even since September of last year. People are starting to wake up and say, wait a minute, we did not vote for tyranny. We did not vote to have our country shut down. We certainly did not vote to tell people they can't come into the country if they're truckers without being vaccinated. We didn't vote for all this. And so there's a smugness radiating from Trudeau. I don't think it's justified by the fact that he won the election last September. Uh, the next point is, it is such an interesting impasse they have reached in Ottawa. The truckers have been there about two weeks now. They are not just, you know, happily parked in a parking lot outside the city. They're blocking traffic. And I want to show you a picture. In fact, I sent Mr. Becker uh, the one that I put these two pictures. One is the, the top one has the pictures of the people in this, uh, the trucks in the city in Ottawa. This is how Ottawa looks. So this is, a, you know, this is a city street. And so you can see people are out there. Yesterday they're estimating about 7,000 Canadians are out supporting the truckers. And the truckers are not only blocking the streets in Ottawa, they're blocking one of the major borders between Canada and America. So they're not just, you know, peacefully protesting. And Trudeau is saying, you know, you have the right to protest, but you can't shut down traffic. You can't shut down the border. You know, he, so he's trying to argue about where this all goes. But I want to make this point. The reason the truckers, what the truckers have said is, we're not leaving until you drop the mandates. And originally the truckers were saying, they just were going after the mandate that related to the truckers, this idea that if you have left Canada and you've gone to America and you're bringing your truck back, that you cannot come back in the country without either having a vaccine and a vaccine passport um, or you quarantine for two weeks. And allegedly, 80% of the truckers are vaccinated. So they're not even really protesting on behalf of themselves. They're protesting against the mandates. They're, and then they really expanded their demand. They want all the mandates related to COVID to end. That is the mission of these truckers. And so they're saying not leaving until we get this ending to the vaccine mandates. Trudeau is saying, 
hey, I got elected to do this and we're not budging. It is a true impasse and, and, and a kind of a startling one that, that rose up pretty quickly. One of the things, two of the things to show you before I tell you what I want to say about it. One was the map, this Canada's Freedom Convoy. Uh, they actually, this is the map where these, <laughs> these truckers started. Um, one was on January 22nd. You can see in the uh, left-hand side of the screen, first convoy departs from Prince Rupert, uh, British Columbia. And you see in the bottom right, January 23rd, another convoy leaving Vancouver, all ending up in Ottawa. These people have gained steam as they've gone across the country. You, we showed the video of people cheering them along as they went. But this has really become symbolic to the, uh, one of the major struggles in the world today, which is do people, otherwise free people, such as Canadians thought they were, such as Americans thought they were, have any right to stand up against government policy related to COVID, or I call it COVID tyranny. Do they, or, or are we just deciding we're forever going to wait until every single day told what we're allowed to do, whether we're allowed to go to the grocery store, whether we have to wear a mask, whether we have to socially distance, whether we're allowed to sit in restaurants, whether we can open our business, what we can do. Our entire normal life is now dictated in many places in America and in Canada uh, based on the vaccines, vaccine mandates and vaccine passports. It really is a true impasse. And it's interesting because you see some of the left-wing pundits saying, okay, you know, truckers, you made your point, you don't like the mandates, you know, but you can't block streets and you can't block the border and you made your point, you need to go home. I mean, that's just enough. Stop pestering people, you need to go home. That is an attitude you hear out of some of the pundits. But you know, the reason the truckers are so adamant is because the government is so adamant. The government is not honoring the will and the desire, even if it's 1% of the people, but it's more than 1%, who don't want the vaccines and who don't want to be told they don't have any freedom unless they can flash their vaccine passport. The government is the one that has set the stage for this showdown or impasse because they're saying no budging. We direct your every life, your every step in your life. And if you try to defy us, you know, you're going to end up without a job and you may end up even worse. And because people in Canada and America, other free countries, watch what's happening in Australia, and they now realize they're actually putting people in quarantine camps, I mean, you know, against their will. And they're actually shutting down. That country has been so shut down for so long. And, and everyone used to think of Australia as kind of the land of the free, you know, it was that it got started because it was a land that they, you know, used to drop off prisoners from, the, from Great Britain, you know, decades ago. Uh, who were, it was an island of criminals who've been dropped off and left there. The, the whole stock of Australia is supposed to be these tough people, you know, rugged individualists, and they're being treated like children, the entire population, the government telling them what to do. So the freedom movement's on the rise, and it's a really interesting impasse in, Cal in, in, in Canada, whether the freedom movement's going to win or the government suppression and tyranny is going to win because neither side appears willing to uh, back down, neither side appears willing to, um, you know, to uh, concede. I will say on the trucker side, some people are saying, well, okay, move your, your uh, trucks away from the street, city streets, let people function. You can have your protests somewhere else. They can still be protesting and not driving their trucks, which is eventually going to cause shortages of all sorts of products in that country because they aren't, they aren't being delivered by the trucks. So whatever you think about you know, what the truckers should do, maybe they have to let the border be open, let the streets be open, but the truckers are saying, we're staying, we're staying. And the, the government of Canada is saying, we're not changing. And I have to tell you, people, I am so proud of the truckers. I'm proud of the people standing up for them because what we've come to see in this world is that this COVID episode that is, you know, many doctors have been on my show saying, you know, the pandemic is over. The COVID pandemic is over. It's long been over. And Omicron, Omicron rather, is not a serious threat, maybe more contagious, but it's also less lethal. We still have all the data about, you know, over 99% of people will survive COVID. It is a tiny percentage of people with pre-existing conditions and uh, comorbidities who, for whom uh, COVID may be lethal. And we're not gonna give up all of our freedom in this world, uh, given the statistics we know, and especially given we know what we have um, to what we have in um, in Canada and around the world, with uh, the the desire for freedom 
and the government saying, nope, no freedom coming, especially listen to Dr. Fauci, no freedom coming. I went longer than my first five today, so I'll wrap up my first five by saying this. We tried to do, we, we're going to set up a poll. We're using our, if you text the word America to 53445, we're gonna have a poll ready for tomorrow. I'm curious what you think. Should the truckers stay right where they are? You know, just stay and, and, and not and not move. Should they abandon their protest because they made their point, or they should they maybe just get off the streets and get away from the border, but maintain their protest? I'm curious what you think. I, I, I'm in the camp of maintain their protest because I don't know how else they will otherwise get the attention of Justin Trudeau and those people who think they get to decide the freedom for the rest of us. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So you're joining us today, someone who has actually been on the show many times, but not in quite a while. Uh, and his name is Wade Miller. He uh, was a, used to be a Texan. Maybe he still thinks he is a Texan. I don't know. But anyway, he's in the Washington, D.C. area, uh, and he is the executive director of an organization called Citizens for Renewing America. It is run by Russ Vogt, uh, who worked in the Trump administration, was the director of the OMB, uh, a great, serious, substantive, conservative patriot. Uh, and Wade um, has a wonderful history working for the Heritage Foundation, working for uh, various true conservatives throughout the, uh, as they ran for office in Texas and, and in Washington, D.C., uh, a, a serious substantive policy thinker. Um, and he's written a piece which answers the great question so many conservatives ask all the time is, how could we have a Republican majority, like even in Texas, Texas legislature, and we can't get conservative things done? How does that happen? So let's welcome Wade Miller to the show. Hi, Wade. Hi, thanks. And I apologize the light on my uh, camera just went out, and so I've got to charge that. But anyways, no. thanks for having me on. No problem. We can see you just great. Well, let's start with uh, very quickly. Tell us about the Center for Renewing in America. Tell our listeners about them. Sure. So as an entity, it's one of the few uh, three, four uh, uh, entities that were have been officially blessed by uh, former President Donald Trump. Some would claim current president. Uh, but you know, that's, a, that's a debate to be had another, another day and it is being had. Uh, but it was started by uh, Russ Vogt, who was uh, Donald Trump's director of office and management and budget. Uh, for those of you unfamiliar with that, uh, Steve Bann has basically called that the number two most powerful position in the cabinet because that is the position that directs all of the uh, uh, government actions, the interagency executive branch uh, policies of the president. So, for instance, Russ Vogt was one of those who pushed through uh, President uh, Trump's executive order to ban critical race theory in the executive branch. A lot of people forget that President Trump did that. Of course, uh, President Biden undid that. But uh, Russ started this entity to basically carry on the course correctives of the conservative movement, many of which uh, Donald Trump himself embraced and, and valued. Uh, whether it's uh, how do you uh, uh, take on uh, fake news and how do you actually advance an agenda on the border instead of the same old talk points that we've been having for years. How do we get out of the, uh, the, the, the penchant of the GOP to consistently want to get us engaged in forever wars uh, that have distracted us, for instance, from focusing on China. And so Russ Vogt started this entity and uh, uh, I'm, I was proud to, to leave the Hill as a chief of staff in order to come over and help this effort. Well, I always told you when you were chief of staff um, in, in a Congress for Chip Roy, I always told you if I ever ran for Congress, you're the one person I would steal away. I would have wanted you because you're just an extraordinary policy thinker. And many times in the show, I used to sometimes call Wade, I'm like an hour before the show. Tell me the latest. What's the status in this bill? What's happening? He always knew. But I want well, to be available for that, and I'm still available in the future if you ever want to run for Congress. <laughs> and uh, and yes, I do consider myself still to be a Texan. Uh, I have Texas flags all over my house. My license plate in Virginia is TX1836. So yes. Oh, I that's a good one. You thought that? That's great. Okay, I love that. Okay, I want to jump in in this piece because I'm sorry I did too long. The first five, I, I'm f pumped up about those truckers, but. And you're, what you wrote this, this is honestly the question you get from so many conservatives. How could we have a conservative majority and, and we can't get things done? And you wrote about Texas, and which is great because you're from Texas. I'm in Texas and you ran a lot, of, a lot of detail about all the ways in which serious conservative policies simply get 
you know, down the rabbit hole somehow in the legislature and we can't get serious and important things done. And there are things that when, when candidates run, they say, oh yeah, yeah, I'm for that, I'm for that, I'm for that, yeah, I'll do that. And then they don't happen. And so, and I tell you one thing, I'm glad you took a shot at, it's very true. You often hear the line, well, we just ran out of time. So tell mm -hmm. me, what's wrong when the legislators tell us, well, we're gonna do that really important thing, we just ran out of time. Is that a fair defense? No, because often what happens, well, first, if you look at the number of hours that they actually work out of the number of hours available each session, it's a minuscule amount. They could, one, they could work more. And I know it's a part-time legislature, but they signed up for this. They should show up and put in the hours. But number two, often what will happen is they will back end all of this work until the last second so that they can then use the excuse of running out of time as an excuse why bills died, when in reality, that's by design. That's what leadership does. And for the bills that they can't actually uh, ignore, that they actually have to do something with and they can't let the clock run out, they'll send it to committees run by Democrats and, and Democrats uh, will either water down those bills or they'll kill the bills for Republicans so that Republican leadership can say, well, look, the Democrats killed the bill, it wasn't us. Uh, when in reality, they set up the entire system to work this way and, and a lot of people don't understand this if you're not from Texas, is that basically the, the Texas legislature is conservatives versus the establishment. You've got 50, 60 Republicans in the House that are very, very much establishment. They're Democrat light. And you've got all the Democrats and they, they proactively uh, uh, work behind the scenes for a, a specific outcome. And it's usually aligned against the conservative minority. And this is the, the dynamic the conservatives in the House face. And this is why, for instance, even though uh, Republicans have had control of the Texas House since 2003, it wasn't really until this last legislature that significant priorities of the conservative agenda started to move. And even some of the, the, you know, the things that this legislature uh, gets credit for uh, were watered down. They could have been way better. Uh, they could have gone way further. Uh, it was in, in many respects the bare minimum, but this dynamic plays out across the country. It's not just Texas. We identified specifics of how it operates in Texas, but this is still uh, uh, in many Republican states, a holdover of the 90s era transition from Democrat to Republican. And the, the 2008 Tea Party uprising kind of started to address that, but we still have a lot of the pipelines of establishment Republicans that have led to this culture that really believe in it. And, and I've got other reasons why, but I, I don't want to monopolize the time here. Okay, you, you, know, you know, you and I have talked many times and we could talk for an hour and I, I hope we can talk quite a while. So one thing to point to um, is to never, never accept the notion that a serious conservative policy idea that clearly is supported by a majority of the GOP base who vote, uh, never agree or concede, well, they just couldn't, they ran out of time. They decide what to find time for. They decide to use their rules and policies and procedures to get to the point they say, well, we couldn't, we, we couldn't get to it. They, they chose what they got to. But number two is you allude to something. I remember being blown away when I learned this. We, I moved, we moved to Texas in the year 2000 and we've lived in California, lived in Washington, DC, came to Texas. And Somebody told me at a Republican women's meeting, well, yeah, you know, in Texas, even though we have Republican majority, we have a Texas State House and Senate, I guess, but Texas State House, where they put Democrats as the chair of a committee. And that, that sounds like about a lunatic, as, I, as I, I, I couldn't even believe that they do that. So first of all, I don't know if you have the chance to do this research, but do other states do this where they have the Republican majority and they let Democrats chair committees in the legislature? Uh, th this is not normal. Uh, this does not happen in other states. There's other things that states do to get the same outcome that Republican held states and legislatures and leadership, they, they use other techniques and tactics to, to arrive at the same outcome. But this is a pretty unique situation. And, and basically what has transpired here is Texas used to be very, very, very democratic. And then in the 90s, it started to move. And all the people, the ambitious people who wanted to run for office saw the tea leaves. They started running as Republicans. They were not committed conservatives. They were not ideologically conservative. They didn't even necessarily believe in the Republican Party platform, uh, but they found reasons and things to run on so that they could get elected. And then their staffers were kind of brainwashed into this mindset. And then what, what transpired is basically a power sharing agreement between 
liberal Republicans and and radical Democrats. And so what happens is Democrats, all the Democrats in the Texas House get together and they agree upon who the speaker will be. And once the whoever whoever the Republican is right now, it's Dave Phelan. If he, you know, the, the Democrats will get behind him and then Dave basically only has to get a handful of Republicans. And at that point, he's locked it up. So in this sense, even though Republicans control the Texas State House, Democrats run the show. They call, make the calls on who the speaker will be in effect. And, and part of this arrangement is that speaker will then owe them favors. And, and, and Democrats know that. So they get the committee slots. They run committees. Uh, they, they kill bills. They get important committees that throttle and, and, and water down important bills. And then, and this is the dynamic that goes on, and it's got to stop. And there needs to be more national attention because Texas deserves and should be leading the pack of Republican states. And right now, it's very much in the middle of the pack for all the bluster. And you know, we're everything's bigger in Texas, and all those memes and 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 phrases. You would not know that by looking at the Texas House. You would think that we are basically, uh, uh, you know. Missouri or Pennsylvania, a very kind of purple state that, that right. Democrats win. We're solidly red in Texas, and, and we don't show it, and we don't lead. Okay, so on that point, I mean, to answer the question, why could a state, how could a state like Texas not get concerted things done? Everyone knows the majority of the base wants them done. There is this process of electing the Speaker of the House, who then has the capacity, the power, to appoint committee chairs and this is another thing. When we first moved here to Texas, people were telling me, well, the Democrats band together and they decide which Republican they want to be chair, or the House Speaker, and they, they pick off a few Republicans. They get enough to get a bare majority of the House members and they get their, you know, Republican in name only Speaker, who's only got a small handful of Republicans backing him, but it's enough. And so every legislative session, I mean, everyone talks about this with their Republican state rep. Why don't you guys band together, get together ahead of time, choose your chair, your House Speaker, and then, but you know, the answer is because there are enough Republicans who can get picked off. And so to solve this, it seems to me, you've got to start targeting those Republicans who are endlessly easily picked off, who join the Democrat uh, cabal that chooses the House Speaker, you've got to get rid of those people so you get people in there who will insist on a Republican majority, uh, on a Republican chosen Speaker of the House. Isn't that right? And this dynamic plays out in a lot of states, but it's basically a culture of quid pro quos and corruption in that the leadership will basically make all sorts of promises and then they will punish anyone. So if you've been there for a long time, you're, you're, you know an issue, you will not get on a committee or you will not run the committee even though you deserve to. If you oppose this, uh, this system and the way things go and you speak out, your bills will not pass. So conservatives, a lot of them, not all of them, but they basically cave and kiss the ring and allow this to continue to happen and they don't speak out against it because at the end of the day, they want to be on these committees and they want to pass the bills. What I would say to those conservatives is, look, the people that are knocking on doors and voting for you, they don't care what committee you're on. They mostly don't care if you pass a single bill. What they want to do, they want to know that you're there fighting for them. And so, and this is like a problem that we run into in DC. Committees are not as important as, as, as candidates think they are. Neither is passing bills in your name. What matters is the outcome. It doesn't matter if your name's on it. It matters if the outcome is right. And so put all this aside. Who cares if you get on a committee? In fact, tell leadership you're just not going to be on a committee. You're just going to go there and you're going to make life difficult on the floor until this stops and until they actually embrace the Republican Party platform and you're going to fight and you're going to fight for your district. And I think that if conservatives banded together and started making that argument, you would see this uh, play out differently or you would see the tide turn. It may take time. But this, this same dynamic plays out all over the place, and, and, and 28 other Republican states, similar dynamics play out. I'm so glad you're saying that, and I want to make that point for our listeners. This is a great piece. It's on our website, AmericaCanWeTalk.org, on the homepage, under shows. 
drop-down list of links. You can read this piece that Wade wrote that we're talking about that analyzes the Texas legislature. But it happens all over the country, and it's kind of the backroom dynamics of politics that the voters don't see. The voters know, hey, I got behind, you know, so-and-so, and I knocked on doors, and I voted for him, and I made phone calls, and he promised X, Y, and Z, or she promised, and then it never happens. And this is kind of like, you know, uh, pulling back the screen and pulling back the, the curtain and letting you see what happens behind the scenes, what these people, why we can't get uh, concerted things done. And I, I loved your point about uh, this is a Democrat um, I, cabal, I guess, has negative connotation of a Democrat group, uh, and then a Republicans easily picked off. But also goes to the question, your point, and you made such a good point here about the people who will say, you know, I want to run for state house or state senate, and, you know, I can now see that the state is shifting. Texas is becoming Republican. So people who previously ran as Democrats now run as Republicans, but they're not running because they've had a, you know, a truly, uh, you know, a, a rejuvenation and epiphany and started to realize, wow, Democrat policies are horrible, and I believe in freedom, and I believe in the American ideal, and I believe in individual freedom, and I believe in low taxes. It's not because they've been re become Republican ideologically. They just want to win. And I got to tell you, you know, for people ideologically committed to conservatism, if someone said to me, well, you could probably win this race for Congress if you run as a Democrat, I couldn't do it because I don't like what they stand for. But people willing to say, I'll switch parties, I don't care, I'll run as Republican. What they're telling you is, I don't believe in ideology. I just want to be in the legislature. Is that fair? Yes, and, and they're easy to spot. Like, for instance, there's a lot of tells. If they say, for instance, that CRT isn't a problem and it's not in our schools, they're either completely ignorant on the issue or they're just really not, they're not really a, ideologically a, a conservative or a Republican. If they say, for instance, that it's not really our place to stop ch uh, child gender modification, uh, uh, you know, that, that you know, it's not the appropriate role, they're probably not an ideological conservative or Republican. And there's a whole bunch of tells. Generally speaking, these moderate Republicans who are Democrat light, they just want to focus on regulations, uh, spending, and, and taxes. And if they're not willing to actually address culture issues, they're probably not ideologically conservative. And at the end of the day, they're more concerned about being elected, having power, and being able to go to cocktail parties and sneering and making fun of those silly <laughs> conservatives who care about LGBTQ, uh, uh, you know, uh, brainwashing and all sorts of, you know, uh, uh, you know transgender uh, critical theory uh, uh, things, you know, where, where kids don't have an actual gender and they should be able to decide for themselves. They, they want to be able to sneer at us and embrace those. Uh, you know, you've heard it before. Uh, I'm I'm uh, fiscally conservative and socially liberal. This is what a lot of these elected officials and at their cocktail parties will tell people so they can remain cool and not one of those crazy conservatives. Yeah, I'll tell you, you mentioned the social issues. The one I thought would, would have just skated through the Texas legislature was preventing, an, uh, my terminology, gentle mutilation of minor boys or girls, of children. The idea that you have gender-modifying procedures, whether it is uh, surgical procedures or therapeutics for children, for seven-year-olds, this is, it should be as easy as passing, you know, saying Texas is hot in the summer. Couldn't get it through the legislature. I, I mean, I, I, this is a great example of how the conservative, and I, w I would argue the majority of Americans think is absurd and grotesque to engage in gentle mutilation of children. We couldn't get that through the Texas legislature. Or, or even like actual pornography in school libraries. So we'll put out a book of like 10, I'm sorry, like 100 books that have actual pornography that are not appropriate for children to read. And, you know, they'll pour through it and find one that shouldn't be there and say, oh, you guys want to ban free speech and that, you know, this is a, an invasion of free speech. Well, you know, news flash here, you know, moderate Republicans, there is no free speech in a publicly funded classroom. That is state speech. We have the power to completely regulate everything that our children are exposed to. The state legislature does this all the, the time through curriculum and standards. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, moderate Republicans, they just clutch their pearls and gasp at you know, how, how crazy it is that we're even considering potentially uh, uh, you know, infringing on free speech in this manner as if it's completely okay to just expose children to pornography. That's a slam dunk issue. Ch you know, chemically castrating children is a slam dunk issue to oppose, and yet we couldn't get that done in Texas. 
and that, that 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 says it right there. That's the that is what we're fighting. That's the intra-party fight right there. It's the party that does not want to prioritize preserving our culture. And they think that if we can just lower taxes and balance the budget, that the the resulting prosperity will somehow itself be an argument for what we believe in. And it's not. Absolutely and right. I got to jump in one second. Wait, we're, we're coming up at our bottom of the hour break for our radio listeners. You're listening to Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. Our website is americacanwetalk.org. Do not go away. Whatever your bottom of the hour, three minutes, come back. We have a whole other half hour left. Okay, Wade, go ahead. I got to make sure I get on my radio people. Okay. I was basically coming to noon, but that's that's the distinction. And the left understands this. They are fighting for our culture. They're fighting for culture through schools, through government agencies, through corporations, through financial institutions, through big tech. And our side largely just wants to lower taxes and deregulate. They're not actually in the fight. This is at the federal level, the state level, the local level. And they pearl clutch the second that we want to engage in that arena as if it's some sort of great offense to, to Western uh, uh, democracy. And it's not. This is what we have got to wake up to. We've got to fight on this front. And we've got to open up our eyes and, and, and start seeing what the left is doing. And we've got to start going after it. And, and you know, it starts in education. We've got to go after it. My dad's a, a public school teacher. It is not offensive to him, or, or, or nor should it be to those who want to engage to understand that we've got to do a lot to change public education. And that's not anti-teacher. It's not anti-student. It's not anti-public education. It's anti-cultural Marxism. Could not agree more. And also say, Wade, you had a great list at the end of this article. Again, this is we're talking with Wade Miller, who's executive director of the Citizens for Renewing America. Their website is citizensrenewingamerica.com. And, and there's a great list at the end of your article about what could happen in Texas. Probably a lot of these apply to your state too. But changing how we pick the Speaker of the House would be one thing. Uh, you have, uh, they could maybe work a little more. That, that was, you had a bunch of great um, choices. Um, and I, I just want to commend you for tackling this because we can go down after issue after issue after issue, but if you get the most brilliant formulation of an issue and the most brilliant formulation of legislation to solve it, but you can't fix how it doesn't happen in the legislatures, what you're really saying is, you know, we're, we're just talking to our, we're talking to our voters to make sure we get back on the, uh, you know, back in, but we're not really going to be part of the fight. I'm going to let you close by saying, with uh, on, on the Citizens for Renewing America, people can join and support Citizens for Renewing America, right? Yes, uh, our website is americarenewing.com. Uh, Russ Vogt, V-O-U-G-H-T, uh, on Twitter, at Russ Vogt. Uh, we have two, you know, Twitter handles you can find easily from there, our uh, Center for Renewing America and our Citizens for Renewing America handles. And we're, we're, you know, making big pushes. And the last thing I'll say is we just had a major breakthrough uh, on border security with the Arizona Attorney General uh, basically saying that our, the legal foundation of our argument has merits. And that's a game changer. And I'd, I'd love to come back on and talk about that sometime. Oh, very soon. I love talking about that. As you know, border is a huge, huge issue here in Texas. So, uh, Wade Miller, I th I'm so glad you're available. I always feel this way when I'm talking with you. We need about two more hours. But thank you very <laughs> much for joining me today on America Can We Talk. We'll see you later. Thanks for having yeah. me on. Thank you. Okay, we are welcoming back. We are welcoming back our radio listeners. Thank you very much. We wrapped up with Wade Miller. And again, I'll mention if you were enjoying hearing him, he's just a great guy. He, uh, their website, they do have citizensrenewingamerica.com. They also have americarenewing.com. Um, and they are just a fabulous organization doing the kind of work that will change things in America. I do want to hit this uh, quick story. Um, and, and I didn't even get to it with him, and I'll touch on it more another day, but before I get to the kindergartners, sorry, I, I, well, before I get to them, um, there isn't a piece out, and it's posted on our website, americacanbetalk.org, that's talking about how the Democrat Party, and I, they're doing it here in Texas, this, this particular piece of um, writing that I, I have linked on our website today is about Texas happening all over the country, which is the Democrat Party is actually targeting people they believe to be easy to take out, and they are putting people who put an R by their name, but who are actually Democrats, and challenging incumbent GOP seats in the state Senate and state houses, putting someone up, smiling face, nice, nice bio, you know, nice website, and they are Democrats. 
and there are Democrats running as Republicans. It's a business. It's an operation for the left. It is the way they do things. They are not going to try to convince you of the merits of what they believe in, but instead they're going to say, well, this is an area where we think maybe this particular GOP person isn't that popular. We can maybe take him out in the primary. You think you're voting for some really, really interesting primary challenger, and the fact is you're voting for a Democrat. There are, I'm going to name names, but not today, but this is happening in Texas. Uh, several amazing, I mean, people I know who are wonderful members of the state Senate and state House are being opposed by alleged Republicans who are just, it's a, it's a putting up a front. It, it is an operation by the Democrats, putting people up, running it for, GO, for the GOP, who are clear uh, Democrat history, bad news for us, bad news for ever trying to get the conservative agenda done. Now I want to talk about the kindergartners in uh, in Washington, D.C. It's a very, very quick little segment today. Um, and so in Washington, D.C., there is a private school uh, for, I guess it's, I don't know what it is, K-4 or something. And if you can believe this, I mean, the, I guess these numbers aren't extraordinary to some people, but it cost $40,000, $40,000 to get your child educated for their kindergarten year at this school in Washington called Lowell, L-O-W-E-L-L, -L, Lowell Academy or Lowell, whatever it is, Lowell, the Lowell School. At this school, so these are five-year-olds, these are kindergartners. They had a little uh, school uh, project they did. Um, I sent Mr. Becker a video of this. We're gonna watch what these kids were doing and talk about it for just a moment. Okay, those are five-year-olds who are, number one, masked up for no reason at all, because masks are not needed for kids, but they're waving signs that say Black Lives Matter. And you might think, okay, it was probably just, you know, a little exercise they did, you know, a change from the normal, you know, working with, playing with blocks and learning how to write their letters or something. I want to tell you how deeply disturbing that is. This is a kindergarten class for which parents are paying $40,000 a year and their kids are being taught to chant Black Lives Matter and wave a sign. Number one, these kids have no idea what they're talking about. They're just repeating what the adults told them to say. So they're not, this isn't inculcating anything to them. This isn't helping them embrace. This is just learning a chant. Number two, to the extent the school tries to teach kids what they're saying, why they're saying this, why you're saying Black Lives Matter. The entire point of chanting Black Lives Matter is to convince the children that there are Americans out there, probably most Americans, millions of Americans, who don't think Black Lives Matter. I mean, you wouldn't need to be waving a sign and yet chanting it if everybody already thought that. They're being propagandized to think that America is a deeply racist nation. That is the point of doing that. These children are being taught by this chanting of Black Lives Matter. The, the subtle message is, and they will embrace this message as they go through school and do more activities like this, that America is a deeply racist, institutionally racist, systemically racist nation. This is what they will think because they're te why else would you chant Black Lives Matter? Third point, I don't think that any of these teachers spend time pointing out to them that Black Lives Matter is funded in large part by anti-American socialist, Marxist, communist organizations, including some money funneling through from the Chinese Communist Party. The CCP funneling money to America ends up in the hands of Black Lives Matter. These are not pro-America, pro-constitution, pro-limited uh, you know, pro government. This is not what the, this organization is. This organization is anti-American. It is trying to make the point to America that they do not agree with the entire premise of American history. They are trying to say America is an evil racist nation and that therefore is, of course, must get rid of capitalism, must get rid of, uh, must have reparations, uh, must have massive wealth redistribution. This is a, a Marxist movement being implanted in the minds of kindergartners. Now, I don't know, there might be a plenty of parents at a school who are just the liberal elite who are just so proud to have their really, really woke kindergartner come home and say, mommy, Black Lives Matter. But what they're being taught 
is that they shouldn't love their country, that America is a bad place, that America is filled with bad people who do bad things. And this is happening in kindergarten. And, you know, to the point that I make on many, many, many subjects, leftists never tire. Leftists are relentless. I'm not talking about liberals. That's a different little category. But leftists, the anti-American leftist movement, massively on display in this country. The anti-American leftist, socialist, Marxist, communist movement, massively on display, has overtaken the Democrat Party. That's who the Democrat Party is today. They are relentless. They push in academia so that you have a kindergarten class doing Black Lives Matter. So you have the BLM 1619 Project agenda being pushed in public schools. They're relentless in corporations and pushing and hassling corporations. So they will bend their corporate behavior, their corporate donations, their corporate policies to make the anti-American leftist community happy. It's easier for them, corporations, to do what the left wants because otherwise the left will hassle them to death and they know this. So they're like, okay, okay, what the left wants to do, we'll just do it. The left, the anti-American left is relentless. And the only way they get shut down is to be shut down, to have equal or more pressure from the patriots who love America, the patriots who know America is a good country, the patriots who believe in the founding ideas of America. Those people have to be a bigger and louder voice in every arena of American life because the anti-American leftists, relentless as they are, will never stop unless we stop them. That idea of teachers, the administration, they either know that they're propagandizing kindergartners with Marxist ideology, or they shouldn't be teaching children because they have no idea what they're doing. Okay, I had uh, one last topic for today. And on this, um, on this topic of the uh, GoFundMe thing, I just want to mention, I know a lot of people have been talking about GoFundMe and, um, you know, that GoFundMe uh, who had been, had received, uh, I think got over $10 million dollars uh, people making donations to GoFundMe to go to the Canadian truckers. And uh, GoFundMe then announced that they were outraged to learn, just shocked, shocked, I tell you, to learn that the, uh, they say that the truckers, you know, somebody had a Nazi flag. Well, that could have been like, like an anti-trucker protest person trying to make it look like that was the truckers. And they find one or two isolated alleged incidences or, you know, someone waved a sign that had a bad message. Someone seemed to be, um, you know, harsh and mocking someone who was wearing a mask. They find isolated, minute little circumstances, pounce on those, attribute them to the entire trucker freedom convoy and say, sorry, we can't, you can't have your money. Can't have the money donated by people around the world, many Americans. So just so you know, so GoFundMe pulled the plug. We already talked about this before. They tried to say first, they're going to give the money to charity and they got such enormous blowback. They said, okay, okay, okay. We'll give the money back to the donors, which is like the only thing they should have ever considered doing. But I want to tell you a few things that GoFundMe thought were okay and that they did fund and they will continue to fund because they are, and, and by the way, their language, we have evidence from law enforcement that the previously peaceful demonstration has become an occupation with police reports of violence and other unlawful activities. So that's why they had to stop GoFundMe. Okay, so one GoFundMe criminal fundraising campaign was entitled, Charged with Bank Robbery During George Floyd Riot, is seeking bail money for someone named Dominique Maxi, who was arrested in May 2020 and charged with bank larceny. That didn't seem to bother GoFundMe. Kind of weird. Seems to me if you're talking, you know, you don't fund criminal stuff. I don't know why you're funding that, but hey. Another um, listing, someone named Raven S. seeking $2,000 to help pay fines um, after, as she wrote, um, I was arrested and detained for trying to assist a man being wrongfully assaulted. A woman named Stephanie raised nearly $3,000 for her daughter who was arrested in conjunction with a riot in 2010. Tia Pugh, a 21-year-old resident of Mobile, I assume Alabama, was arrested for alleged criminal mischief and inciting a riot while attending George Floyd protests the Sunday prior. She was arrested on a federal felony civil unrest for the same incident. Uh, you have three other three suspects arrested for vandalizing the home 
of a defense witness and the Derek Chauvin, that was a George Floyd, the police officer involved in the George Floyd um, episode. So someone vandalized the home of a defense witness of, um, of Derek, in the Derek Chauvin trial, left on his home, smeared with animal blood, a pig, severed pig's head, dumped on the front porch. That person's allowed to raise money. That person who did the severed pig's head on the witness's front doorstep, that's okay with GoFundMe. I could read these over, and I mean, it goes on and on and on. Um, I, I mean, yeah, can't, can't even go through them all. I, I want to make the point, though, about what, what should be the right answer. GoFundMe is a private organization. They are allowed to do this. And, and someone could have a conservative GoFundMe, or what they would call it something different, and they say, you know, we only support you know, conservative causes, we support freedom, we support um, whatever, you know, life, we support whatever the issues they have. You're allowed to have an organization like that and, and, and state the issues that you stand for. GoFundMe really ought to be required to have on their homepage, you know, we don't fund freedom, we only fund left-wing causes, uh, we don't support freedom, we don't support people who stand up for freedom, and so don't start your thing here if you believe in freedom, because we're an anti-American an, uh, you know, anti leftist organization, we only fund leftist causes, and let them do it. It's America, they're allowed to do that. What we have to do is have people on the right, and now we have this give, send, go. Give, send, go is a conservative competitor, a Christian competitor to GoFundMe. That is the answer, because I've been reading things, uh, the governor shut them down. You know what, as long as, as long as they are not dishonest and trying to steal the money, which they were trying to do originally, but as long as they give the money back, if they cancel a campaign, this is America. You get competing viewpoints. Some people apparently like GoFundMe. They're probably happy the truckers can't get funded. But this is the, the, instead of shutting them down, the answer is get a conservative competitor and use them and starve them out. Don't give to anybody who starts a GoFundMe. If someone starts a GoFundMe, message them and tell them, if you do your, your uh, money raising over here, you know, over here, then uh, we'll be happy to, to d donate. If you give it, do it at Give, Send, Go or someplace else, let the free market, the concept of free market and, and the freedom of ideas and the freedom of the people work in this arena of donating money. Now I want to turn to though and talk about the other thing that's ongoing and kind of entertaining, which has to do with Joe Rogan um, and Spotify and, and all of his battles with Spotify. And it's the same thing. Instead of having the government be called on to shut down, to regulate, to punish, to fine, to you know put someone from the government on the board, this is free market America. Spotify went after Joe Rogan. He, Joe Rogan, had some videos up, I guess from some years ago, where he uh, spoke with very foul language and where he used the N-word. And so, you know, some people found that, you know, he should be taken down, that's it. That's Spotify's policy. Now, Spotify's trying to say that they kind of simultaneously said, we're not taking him down, but then they took a bunch of his things down. Spotify's a private company. They can decide, you know what, on Joe Rogan, we're just too turned off by his use of the N-word and, um, you know, his whatever language he uses we don't like. We're going to take him down. Now, and, and so, in the free market world, people could look at Spotify and say, but look, look who you leave up. You have these rappers with horrible, horrible words, horrible lyrics. You leave them up, you can point out hypocrisy. But instead of fussing with Spotify, and instead of have, trying to argue the government should shut them down or regulate them or do something else to them, let them be the left wing. And, and they're, they're basically saying, look, we're left wing and we're really bothered that this conservative guy is getting so famous and popular. And you know, we don't wanna help the conservative voices be heard, so we're gonna shut him down. Okay, you know, let, let them take him off. Now they're, they're saying they're not, but they're, they're also kind of doing it. Um, and that, but I will say, if you say, if you're of the mindset that says, well, okay, you know, Joe Rogan did actually use the N-word, and that's completely horrible. And I agree. I, I don't ever use that word. I, I don't like it. So I, I'm in agreement. But you could be of the mindset that says, okay, he said that, and I don't like him, but I don't think he should be shut down. I think, you know, you can not listen to that portion of what he put up. You can, you know, complain about it. But this, again, goes back to how the left works and how sane Americans work. 
Because, you know, the opposite of leftism is not, you know, extreme right, crazy conspiracy theory. The opposite of anti-American leftism, which is the, it is the Democrat Party, is just sane, apple pie, Main Street, mainstream America. Main Street, mainstream America is actually the opposite of what the anti-American left is. It's what the conservatives, Republicans, people trying to speak up for America, it's what they're trying to say. They're trying to say is, we need America back. So back to Spotify. If you are a you know listener to Spotify, a user of Spotify, and you're deeply outraged because they keep Joe Rogan on, then you know don't use Spotify. That's what the free market. Is. Don't use them. You can write a complaining letter, but don't use them. Then go somewhere else. This idea, though, and how the left operates, why it's so important for conservatives to speak up, is because leftism, anti-Americanism, as I said earlier. Leftists are relentless. It's the best word to describe them. They go after every issue, every person, all the time. They will pounce on Facebook and on Twitter and on YouTube. They'll go after anyone saying a conservative message, anyone who dares to disagree with leftist orthodoxy on anything. Leftists believe they have, they have found, they are, they are the arbiters of truth. They decide truth, they dictate truth, and they then are entitled to criticize, attack, ridicule, and destroy anyone who won't agree with them. This is how leftists function. This is how they think. So they're after Spotify because Spotify, you know, darn this Joe Rogan, he's making some really good, you know, big conservative waves by interviews he's doing. And so, you know, we don't like him anymore. So now we're going to dig back and find out that, you know, some number of years ago, he said the N-word or he had the F-bomb in some things he posted. And so th then they're all done with him. They, they want to destroy him. There's no, there's no, we, there's no, you know, debate about we disapprove of him. We disagree. We think you shouldn't like this. Leftists go for the jugular. They're relentless at all times. But, but understand, if you want to say, well, okay, 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 but you know, I don't like Joe Rogan's language. <clears throat> you have to understand, it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. If you say, well, Spotify should take Joe Rogan down because of past language, well then, you know, who else should be taken down? It will never be the uh, rappers. It'll never be, no matter how gross their language is, it'll never be them. But who else, arguing a conservative point of view, should be taken down by Spotify? Because maybe they didn't use the N-word, and maybe they didn't fill their, you know, podcasts or their, whatever they're doing with foul language, but they say things that offend leftists. If you go along with Spotify taking, you know, threatening Rogan and taking down all these things you don't like, you're number one, you've, you've agreed with them, you've opened the door and agreed with them that they are the arbiters of what people are allowed to hear. They are the arbiters of what people are allowed to say. And this is, again, the point of leftism, utter control over you. And if you think Joe Rogan was offensive, fine. But understand that the... the track the mission of the left will always be to move the ball a little well you know this is pretty offensive too now they think about it, i think this is offensive and this is offensive and pretty soon they are the arbiters of truth they are the arbiters of what may be said and and what you're allowed to hear rather than humoring them we should be critical of them critical of these people who think their goal is to shut down everyone else and so this this free speech idea i, I am so in favor of it and, and want to have competitors to Spotify, but I really want to urge conservatives, you know, you don't want to get down the path of, well, yeah, but Joe Rogan, he, he said the N-word, and we can't have that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Because all these standards the left applies to conservatives, they're never going to apply. They're never going to apply the same limitations, the same rules to the left. The same rules will not apply. Leftists are always about expanding their own voice and shutting down opposition. So. Other comedians, uh, there's some comedian, I haven't even heard of him before, named Jimmy Carr, uh, who is like, maybe not be Canadian, I don't know, but anyway, Jimmy Carr, uh, he's now getting worried because he made some jokes years ago that clearly they sound insensitive. They were actually insensitive with regard to um, gypsies, whatever, you know. I mean, he made some jokes and in this ultra hypersensitive, I got offended world, you know, he's now saying, they, they might take me down. They actually might take me down. And you know, but you get to the point, if you, if you tether, if, if you, you know, filter everything you think and everything you want to say, 
through the lens of, can I still speak? Can I still have free speech? Can someone still let me keep talking? You know, the left is always going to shut down anything conservative, anything that disagrees with them. And so you're going to end up with them deciding what is said. So I don't know what can happen to this Jimmy Carr guy. He's just saying, I'm going to keep talking. I don't know what they're going to do. Um, you saw Rumble offer Joe Rogan $100 million. Um, I was going to say, I, I say things like Joe Rogan. I'll, I'll take the $100 million from Rumble, but I don't think they're offering it to me. Um, I, I, and it's kind of a funny thing where we are um, right now with not just Spotify, not just GoFundMe, but there's this, um, I've talked to you about this on this show before, leftism is ultimately tyrannical, ultimately intolerant, ultimately about controlling you. Leftism is sold to Americans and to people around the world as we're trying to make things more fair, we're trying to convince people to share, we're trying to help people understand each other. You know, we're, we're, trying, we're trying to share, we're trying to make life fairer, and we're trying to give you what you deserve and give you what you need. Leftism is sold as though we're trying to take care of you. At the end of the day, all leftism is Marxism, socialism, communism, leftism. Today's Democrat Party is, it's all about gathering power. It's all about taking away personal freedom, limiting your personal freedom, drawing more resources, what you earn and you own into the capital, into the government's hands for them to redistribute. It is always about taking away freedom. It's the, it's the hallmark, it's the goal of leftism. They think they know better than you about just about everything. And so they need to control your life. They need to control everything about your life is why environmentalism works so well for the leftists because they could use environmentalism as the excuse to say what car you can own and what how much heating you can have in your home what kind of heating and where you can live and, and how much you can travel and whether you I mean environmentalism was a environmentalism was a perfect springboard for the leftist goal which is always the same which is to control you control everything about your life and it's the same thing the left is doing today with covid it's always about controlling you. It's always about, we're not trying to hurt you. We're trying to help. That's why we're trying to tell you, you know, wh what, whether or not you can get a shot, whether you must get a shot, whether if you don't, whether you can have any freedom at all left in your life, if you don't take a shot, regardless of what you as an individual think about that and whether you want to do it, it's always about more control. Leftism lives to control people. We have just about 30 seconds left with our radio listeners. So I want to remind you, if you don't know where uh, my show is coming from, my, my website is americacanwetalk.org. My name is Debbie Georgiatis. Go to americacanwetalk.org. You can sign up for my newsletter. You can make a donation and support this show. Uh, you can join America Can We Talk for $50 a year. It's a great website to go to, full of information. And you can find my show every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. Goodbye for now, radio listeners. Okay, for the rest of you, I do, I close out this show every day by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. And so, we start our day today on talking about Trudeau and the truckers, a Canadian impasse. A uniquely important consequential impasse is not about money and is not solvable by money. It's about freedom. It's the Canadian government that is extreme and intransigent. Countries and states all over the world are lifting COVID restrictions. Data shows vaccines are ineffective in stopping the spread. There is no medical evidentiary support for vaccine mandates. Not only are the vaccines not stopping the spread, uh, people who get the vaccines themselves get, they, they spread COVID to others still, they contract COVID themselves, and they still die from COVID. So the vaccines are kind of 0 for 3 what they're supposed to be doing. But there's no medical evidentiary support for vaccine mandates, purely a political power play by Trudeau, who's now dug his feet in and can't figure out how to get out of it. Freedom-loving people throughout the world stand in solidarity with the Canadian truckers. Freedom must win in Canada and everywhere. And I'm propagandizing kindergartners, masked kindergartners in a high-end private school, forced to chant Black Lives Matter. This is how American society is lost. Five-year-olds, are they told Black Lives Matter is socialist and Marxist and anti-American? Of course not. They wouldn't understand even if they were told. Are they told Black Lives Matter is under nationwide scrutiny for egregious fraud and the use of donations? What about a five, what does a five-year-old believe about other lives and about America if they're taught only that Black Lives Matter? Plato, the founder of the first institution of higher learning in the Western world 2,400 years ago, 
The major precepts of the culture are decided by number one, who teaches the children, and number excuse me, decided by number two, who teaches the children, and three, what do we teach them? You know, we still got the numbers off. It's one who teaches the children, and two, what do we teach them? And politics is downstream from culture. Americans must protect kids from propaganda in schools. And finally, we talked about the GoFundMe, Spotify, and Truth in Censoring. GoFundMe turns away funding for Canadian truckers, but accepts funding for freeing felons, bailing out rioters and arsonists, and whoever is in support of left-wing causes. Spotify turns away Joe Rogan after mob-initiated cancel effort over inappropriate language, but takes no action against rappers and others with far worse language. America's preeminent value, freedom of speech, not censorship or viewpoint discrimination. The right free market response is to require full and fair disclosure as to what companies value and which, which, what they will, and who they will censor or refuse service to. And then intelligent, informed Americans should refuse to patronize businesses who do not share American values. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thanks so much for tuning in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America?